Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The HBIC podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the HBIC family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at HBIC are pursuing discipleship. In other words, how they are learning to follow Jesus' example and obey his teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. This week I talked with Michaela Lagerman about the death penalty, the topic everybody has been clamoring for, hoping for. <laughs> um, but seriously, Michaela has done a lot in terms of advocacy, um, supporting those on death row. So we get into her passion for this. We talk a little about whether or not the death penalty is biblically defensible or logically defensible. I hope this conversation gets your gears turning a little bit about this topic and about the people affected by it. Michaela Lagerman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's great to be with you. You've been a part of our church for a couple years. I would say like maybe a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Year singular. Maybe roughly around when I started being a pastor here. Actually, I remember them showing the picture of you and Ashley and Naomi on the screen. And they said, everyone email Pastor Ryan at this email address to welcome him. And I think I did. Yeah. You and four other people. (laughs) It's on brand. (laughs) (laughs) You're the kid turning their homework in ahead of time. Yeah. I had been here for like two weeks and I was like, I'm on it. I will email Pastor Ryan, whoever he is. Um, you are a med student who, well, no, you're a doctor. Ex-med student. You're an ex-med student, (laughs) current doctor Mm -hmm. in the residency portion of your time. Yeah, that's correct. I got that right? Yeah. Okay. It's a lot of lingo. Sure. My family's still learning it all. I'm learning. And your family's from Rabazonia. Rabazonia, PA, Mm -hmm. Berks County. Yeah, my dad lives there still. My Grammy, Grampy, and mom live in the Moton area which is about 15 minutes from Rabazonia. Mm. As we as we all know. Yeah. A lot of central P- Pennsylvania, like heavy on the uh, sort of sounds. Yeah. yeah. You guys are like kind of the f- far northeast reaches of central PA, I guess. Southeast. Southeast. Well, it's like the north of the southeast. That clears it whatever, up. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> Got it. I think I can speak <laughs> I for everyone, everyone in it. saying that we all understand now. So you are uh, starting in a residency. You've been living in Hershey mm-hmm. and coming here for the past year and a half. Yeah. So I moved to Hershey in the midst of the pandemic, 2020, start medical school. I did a, a program where you do school in three years instead of four And so I knew I was going to stay here for three years of residency after that was done. So it was kind of like I signed up for this six-year deal, which is why it was important for me to find a church early on in med school, whereas I feel like some people, because they know they're busy and they're going to leave, it's like less of an important thing. So you, uh, I asked you to be on the podcast and you were like, sure. And I was just going to ask you like, I don't know that I said sure. You're like, I was like, uh. that fills me with dread, but I'll think about it for a while. And my initial pitch was, let me talk about following God in the hospital, et cetera. And you're like, actually, I'd really love to talk about the death penalty instead. <laughs> I've never been a person who's considered subtle or, um, or surface level, I would say. Yeah. Just want to dive straight in Always. to capital punishment and just let's talk about it. Yeah. Must be really good at like a party. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't always get invited. I usually plan them. And so people come to me (laughs) and then that works out. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So otherwise, so yeah, they're like, don't invite Michaela. She's gonna like bring up the Israeli-Palestinian conflict like during cocktails, and it's just gonna get weird quick. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, why? <laughs> why uh, for you? Did the death penalty come to mind as something that you would be interested in talking about? It's just one of those topics that, for whatever reason, has really jumped out to me over the last few years. And, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense just surface level. Like, I don't, I don't personally know anyone on the death penalty plus – or, like, on death row plus or minus. Um, but I did a, a gap year, a year of service at a place called Christ House in Washington, D.C., in between – graduating from Bucknell and then starting med school here. And it's a a medical respite facility in D.C., which means it's a place where men experiencing homelessness come to get acute medical care. So they stay with us for periods of time. And I remember part of my job was doing intake. So when people would show up to get admitted, I would do all their paperwork and make their paper chart because we still do paper charts and all the things. And... There was one patient in particular who was coming from South Carolina to come to us, which is not normal. Like, we only take people from D.C. And it was abnormal because he had been in prison there for a long period of time. D.C. is unique in that it doesn't have a prison. So jail is like a short-term thing. D.C. has a jail. But at least when the time when I was there, no prison. So if you got sentenced to, like, a longer sentence, they just sent you wherever in the country had an open bed which meant you're removed from all of your support systems and all of the people who could come visit you, which is already a hard thing when you're nearby. And so this patient made his way up from South Carolina on a bus, was late, and we're pretty strict about, like, you have to be here by X time to get admitted. And so he was really flustered, and he was like, I know this is the place where I need to be, and had the bus driver, like, write a note saying, no, we really were were late, like, this isn't his fault. And I just got to know this patient really well, and we would eat meals together often, and just hearing about the story and the mistreatment, it brought to light that a lot of patients were involved in the justice system or lack of justice system in in one way or another. And I don't know, I just, I found it really unfair in that moment that he was so late and so flustered. And this was like the one thing he could hold, hold on to when being released was coming back to this place he had stayed years before when he was sick. And he had, like, overall, it was a a nice, happy ending story. We were able to get him his own apartment, and, you know, he was, like, doing really well and able to come back and visit us. But that was sort of the first thing. So at least, like, introduction to incarceration. And then because it was a year of service, we had a group of us that lived together. So there were five of us who lived in a house, and every week we would have these meals where we'd talk about certain topics and like just come face to face with what our patients were experiencing. One of those, we watched the documentary 13th made by Ava DuVernay. And if you haven't seen it before, highly recommend. I think they do a really great job covering the 13th amendment, which is what it's named for. And that sort of like added another layer onto my frustration with the system and things that our patients were facing, things that people in our neighborhood were facing in Adams Morgan. And so I was like, what is going on here? Like the, you, you hear about it, and I feel like I had classmates growing up that had some parents who were justice involved, but hadn't really experienced that within my own family at that time. And then our volunteer coordinator, Lydia, was a few years older than us, and she said, well, it seems like you all are pretty frustrated by this. When she had done a year of service at a different place, 
they had introduced her to a pen pal program where you can become pen pals with somebody on death row. And so I signed up for that back in 2019, I guess it was. And so I've been writing back and forth with a person on death row since then. So that was sort of like the big thing for me. And then books and movies, like just Brian Stevenson is like one of my life heroes. And I actually read um, The Sun Does Still Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton, who's one of the people that Brian Stevenson represented on death row. He was wrongly incarcerated and was on death row for a number of years in Alabama. I, I think Alabama. So just reading all of those books um, and Sister Helen Prejean is a nun who's like really advocated against the death penalty and, and abolishing it. Um, she has a book called Dead Man Walking mm-hmm. and that was in my house where I lived in E House. So it was just all of these things sort of like came together and we had a magnet on our fridge that said like now that you know doing nothing is no longer an option. So a lot of double negatives there, but... I found that to be true for myself. Yeah. So that's the origin of your passion. And and Mm -hmm. you exercise that passion now through primarily through the pen pal program Mm -hmm. and then have done other advocacy or different things in the past or. Yeah. So there's a few different social media accounts that I follow who they basically say like this person's execution is coming up. And so write to this person. Pennsylvania isn't actively executing anybody at this point, but plenty of states are. I think I also have a tab on my phone that always has the upcoming execution mm-hmm. list just so I, I like open it every once in a while and pray for the people and see if there's anything going like petitions or things like that. The last person executed in the U.S., I think it was like June 15th, not that long ago. And the next one is coming up probably in a few days. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something I think people don't realize how often it's happening, especially over the last like four or five years since things got restarted, especially on a federal level. Um, restarted. So they weren't doing federal executions, but they restarted that, I want to say, 2017. It was just by states. But now people who have a federal um, like sentencing are being executed again as well. So I think that there was that support from the government. Now there's even more state support too in certain states. Yeah. I know Shane Claiborne is a person that mm-hmm. does a lot of kind of speaking out and highlighting upcoming executions and praying mm-hmm. for stays of execution. And mm-hmm. Why do you see the death penalty as wrong and as something that ought to be abolished? Yeah, there are a lot of answers. I think some of which are logos, like you can think through it logically it's more expensive to keep people on death row. There are people who are innocent on death row. I feel like the stat is something like one in eight people on death row is innocent. Yeah, just that yeah. alone to me, like as I've learned about that, is enough to be like, wow, that's yeah. high enough percentage that we should not be doing this. Yeah. Isn't that mind boggling? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, just, yeah, you know, only like 15% of the time do we kill an innocent person. Yeah. It, like, if we were just going through, in the general population, killing one in eight people just for no good reason, mm. like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Um, anyway, that's the, yeah. the logical case, yes. or one of the logical yeah. cases, the cost, it's more expensive. Yeah, cost. Even, you know, racial disparities, people mm-hmm. who are black, people of color, um, people with mental health problems or intellectual disabilities, far more likely to be executed 
statistically or are put on death row or tried in a death row case. Um, and so that even is like unjust. If we're going to be applying the law equally, we're not in those cases. And then you also have like the emotional side of it of we're killing people. That feels wrong in my head. Um, although I grew up in like an area that supported like, you know, th that person did something horrible, like they need to pay for it. And I, I can understand how people get there. But I think as scripture has become more important to me through my life, I've sat with some of the verses that are a little dicier because I think you can find things one way or the other arguing for or against the death penalty. But I think it makes sense to me to limit vengeance because we're not the ultimate judge. And I think that that is, is a teaching that we can all agree on. Um, I also have really resonated with the BIC since joining HBIC and its peace position and caring deeply about not being violent. And I, I think the BIC has made plenty of statements on the death penalty and their stance against it, but. Yeah, this isn't a very hot take by yeah, you in this yeah. context. <laughs> I'm not the first one to say these things, but yeah, I feel like there are just so many things piled up that it, you could come up with like a million cases uh, for why not to impose the death penalty on somebody. And I think even hearing from my pen pal, how much it is, he's in California, so they're not actively executing anyone either. They actually recently, I think their governor passed a law or approved a law that, that they're getting rid of the death penalty in California officially. So that transition is happening, but you know, to just sit there and know that at any point someone could flip a switch and say, just kidding, like we're, we're going to set a date for you. That's a lot. Mm. I have friends who have pen pals on death row in Alabama, in Florida, Missouri, like places where they're actively executing people. And to sit with that terror is, it just feels so inhumane to me. And it also means that we think that people are beyond redemption. Right. And as Christians, that that just doesn't make any sense to be on that level yeah yeah the um that's never sat well with me either that idea of this person is uh to the degree that the logic is this person is an evil person who is beyond redemption mm -hmm. um so consign them to that fate um yeah it's it doesn't seem controversial to say as a christian we should never think someone is evil to the point of being beyond redemption mm -hmm. um even if that Maybe that is true for, maybe that's possible for someone, but that's not for us to, to judge and adjudicate and decide. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and that's why I think I feel okay with reaching out to politicians about this kind of thing, because there actually are a lot of Christian politicians mm -hmm. who are, are for the death penalty or who aren't working to dismantle it at least. Yeah. And I think appealing to that side, you know, we have this shared value system mm -hmm here's where I'm coming from. I don't fully understand how you can be coming from this angle. Like, I think that you should really consider this case. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you, you cited it a few minutes ago, but you know, Romans 12, um, verse something to something. <laughs> I, 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 I narrow it down to the chapter. That's as far as I can usually get, but, uh, vengeance is mine says the Lord. I will repay, mm -hmm. um, is said in the context of a call to, pacifism and love of enemy right mm -hmm. um i've always found that fascinating is like uh to some degree 
the um the foundation for us being pacifists is the idea that God is not one or that like we can safely and, and in good conscience follow the path to nonviolence because we know that in some way or in some sense there is like justice will be done ultimately. Mm-hmm. However we want to think about that and construe it and maybe violence isn't quite the right word for that, but um, that that belongs to God to do. And because we know that God that is God's to do. Mm-hmm. We can hang back and not not meet it out on people. Uh, I think that's a hugely important um, verse in this. I would imagine if you talk to some of those politicians who profess to be Christians or other people in your life who are Christian and support the death penalty, they would probably look to Old Testament, um, you know, um, vindications of that concept. Mm-hmm. What would you say to those people? I think similar to what I said before, I mean, the phrase an eye for an eye comes to mind. I feel like a lot of people argue that kind of thing. But the deeper that I have dived, dove in, dove. It's definitely dove in. Div in. <laughs> dove in. <laughs> the, deep, the deeper I've dove in into Old Testament scripture, uh, the more that I've seen how nuanced it is. And I really do think that it's God imposing limitations on us. To say, you know, you're finite human beings and you think you know best, but you don't. And so here's a limitation rather than going the next step, which is what you've been doing of not just an eye for an eye, but like an eye for all of these other things. It's like a, a now a self-imposed limitation. Right. And the, the pretext of that passage was not to, it wasn't to give us pretext to commit violence. Right. It wasn't, hey, go do it. It was, whoa, buddy, you know. Mm-hmm. And certainly the death penalty, it's only imposed on people who have killed others. So that is arguably eye for an eye, death for death. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think yeah. if you want to read scripture, you can you can find things that will support many arguments. Mm. And I think God gives us intuition and an imagination and like a heart to be able to feel things. And, you know, the law is written on the heart. And so you ideally are able to interpret what you think is right and wrong. And God will highlight that through the, through the spirit in scripture for you to figure out what exactly any of this means. Sure. I think too, at a, um, and we've talked about this at Sunday night Bible study, 6.30 6.30 p.m. Sunday night. It's the place to be. Um, but, uh, you know, we do have to handle the Old Testament with a with a, a few layers of nuance. One of the layers is that that we don't fall under the same covenant at this point. God's not relating to his people as a theocratic nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that affects how we, like, receive and understand the laws. It especially affects how we receive and understand the punishments prescribed for the laws. You know, you could look at any of these laws in the Old Testament that prescribe such and such a thing. I think you can still, in a lot of cases, distill a moral principle from these things of like such and such action is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, with discernment, as you're saying, we can do that um, without then saying, and so we should we should summarily execute people specifically by 
the whole community taking up stones and and throwing them at the person until they die. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian Stevenson actually talks about stone throwing, you know, like the classic story of, you know, he is who he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone at the end of his book, Just Mercy, where he talks about not just the death penalty and the storyline there, but about a lot of different things that he's done in life, um, like ending life sentences for kids and a lot, a lot of other stuff. He talks about a woman who sees him outside of the courthouse and says, oh, Brian Stevenson, like, I recognize you. You're a stone catcher. And he was like, what's that supposed to mean? And she was like, oh, I know you know what I mean. And he, he expounds on this idea of there are people who do think that they are without sin at times. And so they will throw that first stone. And I think that is what's happening with the death penalty sometimes. And he calls us all to be stone catchers, to be able to point out people that need to be protected, that all of us are more than the worst thing we've ever done. That's like a common phrase that he says. And to be proximal to the issue. You can't catch a stone if you're not near the people that the stone is being thrown at. And so I think a lot of those principles have informed not just my thoughts on the death penalty, but the work that I want to do and who I want to be in church with and like all those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus's words to the woman caught in adultery or to the people in that story, I think should be really informative for us as well. Um, Just to have like the, the heart and perspective that you have towards this, you know, I think, like you said, we, we can find any scripture we want to justify whatever we want. And often that thing we're trying to justify is a, is a bloodlust. And that sounds maybe too dramatic and mm-hmm. uh, brave hearty, but like a, <laughs> a desire for vengeance. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they explore this in just mercy and stuff a little bit and how that's depicted, but just like the idea of the family sitting in and being able to like watch an execution and find mm-hmm. some, you know, some sense of, of kind of closure and, and putting a fine point on things and, and, and retribution mm-hmm. basically, um, you know, too so often we're seeking that. And I think for people that argue for the death penalty at, at their best, <laughs> I guess, um, they're speaking from a, from some type of righteous sense that this person ought to be punished. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I, I'm not personally interested as a human in being the one to decide that and to meet it out on people like judgments. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard stuff. And then, like I said earlier in life, I had never had someone in my family who was involved in the justice system in that way. Yeah. But as an adult, like right after my time at Christ house, some things came to light. A person who was in my family at that time was incarcerated. And a lot of it was like for matters of safety and it, it got really nuanced and complicated. But I remember sitting and thinking like, how deeply do I actually believe this? And he, you know, he wasn't on death row by any means. And that was not what he was going to be facing. But if it's true there, like at that extreme do I believe that he's capable of being redeemed and forgiven and changing and, you know, all of these things? And if I don't, I need to sit with that a little bit more. Like, why am I okay with having this pen pal where it's a little further? Um, and why am I not okay with this family member doing these things? So mm-hmm. it's, that's obviously not to say that I was okay with what he did either, but it was a lot to sit with then. 
these things coming together all at once. Yeah. And the, yeah, I mean, the intersection of justice and mercy Mm -hmm. and like justice is not a bad, well, it's obviously not a good thing. We are, we are, we're pro justice, but that gets so thorny, like justice Mm -hmm. and, you know, in the Old Testament, justice and judgment are like the same word. And so it's hard to like kind of parse apart exactly. We want to be merciful. We want to believe in the redemption of people, but there are instances in which individuals need to be separated from other individuals, Mm -hmm. like forcibly for the protection of people. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's where, you know, I think that's where the, for me, uh, this is a, a logic one again, but where the death penalty doesn't make sense in 2023 to me is, you know, we have a, we have a, an incarceration system <laughs> that has a lot of, a lot of issues mm-hmm. and is generally unjust and inequitable and, and, and dehumanizing and gross, but is nevertheless like effective at restraining dangerous individuals when that needs to happen, I guess. Um, Whereas they didn't necessarily have that in Judah in, you know, Mm -hmm. 1100 or whatever. And so maybe the death penalty was the option in that scenario. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's making any sense. No, I think it does. Just to add like complexity to this of like, it is like, I don't think there's any reason to be executing people at this stage, but you know, even thinking about our relationship to prisoners or people in our lives who have been close to us, who have done great harm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The contours of mercy in that context can be difficult to, to discover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. And I feel like people who are incarcerated are so often a population who's forgotten about, not Mm -hmm. just in the way that we think about certain marginalized groups being forgotten about, but just in every sense of it, you know, like yeah. can't vote. You literally can't see them. It's They're often sight, hidden away. Mind. That's the point of the system, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then when people are reentering, you know, there's not a lot of infrastructure in place to help them. And DC was weird because it didn't have the prison, but it had the jail and it's a big city. There's like stuff there, not enough, but enough to help people. And this area for it being urban, and for it being the capital of Pennsylvania, if you just like do a quick Google search of re-entry resources, there's not a ton, like not as many as you would think, given that Dauphin County has a pretty high incarceration rate, higher than Pennsylvania's average. Yeah. So that's like something to consider too. And, and I think the church collectively should be mindful of that. And that's like a calling that we have to come alongside people. I know it gets dicey when you when you think about criminal histories and safety and all the things. But like we said, you know, it, it's more nuanced than that. And yeah. people are 3D and yeah. always changing. We, um, one of the things that Jesus cites in Luke 4 is like a sign that the day of the Lord has come. It's like, you know, release for the captive and mercy for the prisoner, right? Mm-hmm. Quoting Isaiah. Um yeah, it's interesting, uh, and, and I think in Matthew 25, I think he circles back to that, like, where where was I when I was thirsty, or did you visit me in prison, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's interesting to me the prominence of, we might kind of slide over that. Maybe that, those are verses we need to take a little more literally and kind of think, like, well, are we, first of all, how do we regard those that are incarcerated? And secondly, how are we 
building bridges to them and, and showing them mercy and helping them know they're not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, I just walked with someone. Wow, that's a strong way to say it. I corresponded with someone while they were incarcerated for four years between 2018 and they got out in December uh, of last year. And yeah, it just feels like that was only a four-year sentence. It's not a death row sentence, but it still feels like a kind of like a a type of condemnation that it's going to be really, really hard for him to come back from. Mm -hmm. You know, as I've kind of walked alongside him a little bit with the reentry process and, and, um, such as it is and the options that are and aren't there for him, man, it's, you know, we're not, we don't really, it's not a justice system where we, we want people to succeed, mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah. Brian Stevenson says something to the effect of the punishment doesn't end when you're released. No. It continues far beyond that. No. It's a life sentence in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. even if it's not a life sentence, right? right. Yeah. Um, there's no, it feels like there's no coming back from it in a lot of ways. You're kind of like, at, at, at the very least, you're wearing this scarlet letter, right? Mm-hmm. Never mind just what happens to relationships and your connection to the world after four years of, of mm-hmm. without contact and just your, what it does to you as a person, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, being in there, um, man. Yeah. So I know that's something you're passionate about too, is just like prisoners and, and kind mm-hmm. of reaching out to them. And, um, yeah, I, maybe 10 years from now, I'll listen back to this podcast and I've sort of held this loosely, but, I do, I think, see myself working as a physician with people who are incarcerated, whether that's in the jail or in a prison. Some have better infrastructure than others. And even that is sort of a, it can be, it can feel a little slimy, like when there's for-profit medical care in a prison, um, things like that. But maybe it will be with people who are reentering and things like that. There's a really cool nonprofit that I work with in Philly, and they receive letters from people who are incarcerated. It's called Prison Health News. So they send out a quarterly newsletter just about health topics, but people write them letters. And the idea is to empower people with information. And I think that has also been really shaping for just how I view the the justice jail prison system and how I can see myself entering into that space with the privilege that I come with, um, that it's not that I'm here to save people or fix people. It's just like, this is knowledge that I have that I want to give and I want to receive knowledge and figure out how we can best work together to have people achieve their goals and like be well, whatever that means. A practical way that you would want to direct people if they've listened to this podcast, that they could advocate, be involved, support people who are incarcerated on death row or otherwise. Yeah, I would say the pen pal situation has been really great. It's the Death Row Support Project is what it's called. So you just Google that. Yeah. Brethren.org slash DRSP is, okay. is the link. If anyone is good at typing, you could do that. Um, that's been really great. I think the, the expectation is that for the first year, you correspond at least once a month or every other month, but they sort of walk you through that. I think that has been really great. And, you know, people are just sitting there with, not a lot to do, and they would love to get a letter from you. I also think keeping the tab open on your phone or looking every once in a while just online of the names of people whose dates to be executed are upcoming and praying for them or reaching out to those 
politicians in those states to advocate for clemency or for, you know, the date to be moved or abolishing death row, all of the things, like if you want to go that far. So I think those things are important. Also just like reading books and podcasts and movies and all the things. If anyone wants to ever talk to me about it, I it's my favorite thing. And I can lend you the books because I love that. It's her favorite thing. <laughs> um, abolish the death penalty. Yeah. Amen. TM. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you for those practical things and, and thank you for your heart in this. Um, and I would hope that uh, for the, anyone listening that's not in accord with where you're coming from, like, you know, I guess come talk to Michaela. Yeah. <laughs> would love in the, I don't have a ton of free time these days, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, even to just like sit and I love asking questions of people. So just to hear where people's thoughts are coming from. And it's, it's a hard thing. I hope we're honest with ourselves about how thorny it can be. Um, mm-hmm. It's not wrong to desire justice, but it is not for us to decide the shape of that justice or mm-hmm. to um, meet it out. Ours is to have mercy and extend compassion and uh, hope for the best for people. Mm-hmm. It's a challenging thing, but mm-hmm. what we're called into is not necessarily easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> You did it. You did a podcast.